Are you struggling to make your first 100K or next? Are you pretending you're successful, but barely getting by? Are you tired of comparing yourself to millionaires and billionaires who make it look so easy? Welcome to First 100K, the number one entrepreneur voice in America. I talk about the important things that no one else is talking about, like how to make your first $100,000, because I believe this is where 90% of entrepreneurs get stuck. And I tackle the mental game of entrepreneurship that we all secretly struggle with but won't admit. My guests are successful entrepreneurs who share their mistakes, their number one fears, their daily habits, and their superpowers that push them over the 100K mark. I'm your host, your coach, your friend, Joseph Warren. I'm also a 10-time failed entrepreneur and the owner of two co-working spaces here in Tampa, Florida. This show was created for you, the entrepreneur who's pushing to break through the elusive 100K milestone. Wherever you are in your business, you're just 100K away. Today, my future guest is Josh Biro. He is the founder of Yogapreneur Collective and head coach at Nomad Business Coaching, a consulting company that helps yoga studio owners systematize their businesses for more profit and peace of mind. He is one of the most sought after business coaches in the yoga industry and is obsessed with studying the difference between studio owners who are killing it and those who are just getting by. Josh lives nomadically and is currently stationed in Mexico with his family. He loves surfing, downhill biking, and yoga, obviously. Perhaps above all, Josh thrives on the satisfaction of knowing that he's helped a do-good entrepreneur have more time to themselves, more money to affect change, and ultimately, more freedom to live the lives they want to live. You can find him at joshbiro.com. That's joshbiro.com. Josh, welcome to your first 100K Top 100 podcast on iTunes in entrepreneurship. Thank you for being here. Go ahead and fill in some of the gaps in that intro, would you? Hey, thanks for having me, Joseph. I'm super excited to chat with you. I love uh, love the podcast. I think you're bringing on some really down to earth, kind of legit entrepreneurs, and I just I appreciate that because that's how I view myself. <laughs> to fill in the gaps, I mean, yeah, I've sort of organically ended up where I am. One of the things that we always get asked is the origin story of living in Mexico or working online or or how we traveled in our RV or that sort of stuff. And honestly, it's kind of just come to fruition on its own. Um, but mostly you covered it, you know, our big motivating, our, my, my big motivators that I am a firm believer that business leadership is the most important leadership of our time. Entrepreneurs well, are going to save the world. Why so, do you think that is? Well, I think we've already seen some good examples of it. If we look back, I don't know, only 10 years ago, the electric car was dead. Solar panels weren't a viable energy source. Batteries weren't, you know, strong enough to, to store power. There's been a lot of players, but if we look at it from the public eye, it's basically one dude with some money and some guts has completely shifted that entire perspective of our culture. Mm -hmm. So that was, we didn't vote someone in for that. That wasn't a grassroots uprising. That was a business decision. And I think that we have to this point developed a culture that is built around businesses being the most efficient and fastest vehicle for change. Mm. I agree with you. We don't have as much red tape, at least not when we're small and nimble, right? Exactly. We turn to larger companies, a lot of bureaucracy enters in. We're almost like government agencies at that point. But, you know, who's, who's saying anything? All right. So why yoga? I mean, obviously, you, you're passionate about it, but you have multiple passions. Why not a surfing company? Why'd you pick yoga as this is my niche? I'm going all in. I'm going to build my empire in this. 
you know, I know you recently had a friend of mine, Sean Gala on the podcast, and I think he said something to this effect too, because it made sense. It's like everything aligned and this is what I'm extremely good at. I can make a yoga studio, make more money. And I, that sounds cocky even saying that out loud, but it's just true. And the reason this happened, honestly, was I grew up in a yoga family. My dad uh, tried to drag me to yoga all the time when I was a kid. I hated it. I was not into it at all. Um, being Canadian, I played, you know, junior hockey and got all banged up and broke all sorts of stuff and didn't move very well in my early 20s. And my wife took me back. And finally, I had this sort of physical moment of epiphany that yoga could really empower your body. So I was hooked. Long story short, went through the experience of becoming a teacher, managing a studio, helping a couple of friends build their studios, build our own studio, operate it profitably, sell our studio. But then when we started traveling around in our Overland RV, we stopped counting yoga studios at like 125, visiting them on the ground all over North America. And inevitably, as an owner to an owner, you end up having coffee or dinner and talking business. And what we realize is having a really frank business conversation in the yoga world and as an extension, the entire wellness world, even doesn't matter what we're talking about, a hit gym, Pilates, bar, whatever else, is way less common than I think it should be, first off. Because it's not like you don't walk down the street to your competitor and say, hey, what are you doing that's working? <laughs> so that's sort of how the conversation started. And the big realization was how frequently we found business owners who had been really working their butt off for even a really long time years, a decade, and have never really made money personally. And that so, was not our experience. So what's the difference? Like if you had to sum it up to one, two, or three things, and I'm not asking for your tips or strategies yet, but what is the difference between uh, owners, uh, wellness studio owners that are killing it versus those that are just struggling? Yeah. I think that there are two major things. The first one is, is the umbrella under which all of their fit. And it sounds almost cliche, but honestly, it's the owner's ability to take action. It doesn't even matter what you do. It matters that you do something and you keep trying things until you get it right. So what, what I'm hearing see, you say is do something more than nothing. Yeah. I mean, what we commonly experience, and this is not specific to the yoga world, this is any small business, especially brick and mortar, is that the vision for the business in a stereotypical yoga studio, at least traditionally was, I love yoga, it helped me, I wanna share it with other people, I'm gonna open a studio, I'm gonna open this business up, we're gonna teach yoga, and then our lives are gonna be good. And literally once the studio's open, that's the end of the vision. The truth is that's the starting line. That's when you begin your business. So what ends up happening is fast forward five years in that same business and just nothing's changed. They've got a schedule, they got a couple more teachers in there, maybe they've done a couple events, but like they haven't optimized the business for anything specifically because they actually have never tried to. They've never built a vision around something bigger for the business itself. Would you say that most studio owners don't even know that's possible? Um, I think in their heart, they know that it's possible because I think that they do. That's why you start one of these businesses is you do have a deep belief that this is a way for you to make a living doing something powerfully impactful in the planet and also for yourself. It's part of your mm -hmm. yoga journey. But I'm not sure if they mentally know the steps to get there. And at some point your enthusiasm wanes when you've been working hard and not getting paid, you kind of just fall into this, we call it the valley of despair, but you fall into this moment of acceptance. It's like, mm. this is just what this business is. The first studio I opened, we had a, a mentor at the time of mine actually just ask us very bluntly, are you opening a business? Or are you just buying yourself a job? That's right. And it was the right question at the time because it made me think about it. <laughs> yeah, very good. So how do you not get stuck in creating yourself a job. Yeah, I think 
the first the first major thing, and this does get into a bit of, a bit of strategy, is that bigger vision. I mean, at the core level of what your business vision is, you have to have a reason. This is my opinion, of course. You have to have a reason for your business's existence that is beyond yourself. So we're talking about a big why. Is that correct? Exactly. You need a you need a huge why. Can you give us an example of some great, huge whys that uh, with individuals that you work with, you coach with, maybe they didn't start out that way, but you helped expand that for them? Yeah. I mean, the stories that we've heard, Joseph, have been insane and have personally experienced. But to me, I mean, on a personal level, yoga has saved my life in more way than one. But what I also see that in these business owners, that's a common story. And then their clients, and that's the big one. So maybe I can't articulate someone's specific vision, but what it basically boils down to is if you really believe that the yoga class and the service that you're offering in your studio can positively impact someone's life. And if you really believe that it can save somebody's life, then you have a moral obligation to serve it to people to the best of your ability. And the stories that I'm talking about are stories of people who come into a studio and tell the craziest things. We had a gentleman at a studio once tell an owner that he had plans to commit suicide and he had failed the first time he tried so to get himself more relaxed, he came to the yoga studio first. And that day, everyone just treated him so nicely that instead he went and checked himself in to help. Wow. No one knew. Like two years had gone by before the story came out. But these little ripple effect things are not so little. Mm. So you truly believe that you're impacting lives. You're saving lives. Yeah. I think that any entrepreneur in any service industry out there, because really, I mean, a yoga studio is the, the perfect example of how, yes, it's a business. Yes, it has to be profitable. Yes, you know, people might just come for a workout out of the gate. But in the end, the entire business structure is built around the people coming in. Mm. It's, it's a service industry. It's about them. It has nothing to do with the, the business itself. And it doesn't mean that it has to be so deep for people. It doesn't have to be a spiritual thing at all. Nothing like that. It's just that it's the type of product that creates an opportunity for people to experience themselves. And I think that any person at any stage in their life benefits from introspection. Have you ever had uh, one of your clients that you coach, one of your studio owners, uh, just purely profit driven, really were not about the people. And were you able to shift that mindset for them? Um, well, no, I've never been able to shift that mindset. I have experienced two occasions, literally in like over a decade of coaching yoga studio owners, there have been two times that I've experienced that. And in both cases, it was, it's a, it's an interesting situation because the actual building of the business, what looked different as well. So stereotypically, although we're starting to see a lot of corporate interest and there's a lot of VC funding coming into the yoga market has been for a few years now. And that's probably what we're going to see dominate the market volume wise for the next little while. Traditionally in Western culture, at least yoga studios are started up by solopreneurs and it's usually family money because banks wouldn't loan for it for a really long time. Um, so it's just highly motivated individuals in both of these cases that we're referring to the person was buying into a franchise. So they weren't sold on the yoga studio. What they saw was, oh, yoga is a booming, you know, billions of dollars industry. Studios are how you make money. I can buy into this franchise. And then after the fact, they realize it's, it's way more difficult than that. And then they experience what we call the nuances of a yoga business. Because to your point, if people smell that you're just about business in a yoga studio, you tend to, it tends to fall short. I, those businesses struggle in my experience. Mm. Thank you for answering that question. 
And, and the reason why I ask is because whether you're listening right now um, and you're running a yoga studio or you're running some other kind of wellness studio, or even if you have a brick and mortar, I know I previously had my uh, last business acquired in 2019 and I owned co-working spaces here in Tampa. So office rentals for entrepreneurs. And it was very much people driven rather than profit driven. Very similar. Any type of membership club, right? Um, you really got to focus on the people. And I'll tell you straight out, I wasn't in the beginning. I was about growing and scaling and profits and looking at the numbers and, and highly focused on that 80% probably of my time and 20% on the people. And it really didn't work well. It, it's to your point, it slowed us down and I wasted years uh, building that. And when I shifted that to 80% focus on the people, 20% on the business, um, that really changed things. And we started to open up and grow and scale and be able to get acquired. Anything you want to add to that as far as uh, what you want to say to studio owners out there listening? Yeah, I mean, the the extension of what we're talking about as well is is self-serving too. Like, here's the thing is it's, we're not talking about becoming the martyr or just giving yourself and just doing everything for somebody else either. I believe that a good properly operating business is cyclical and energetically, even there's a full cycle. So when you provide good service, you're going to get good return as well. It's just kind of as simple as that. Now, obviously there's more details, but it's also self-serving in that when you have this deeper motivating factor, it allows you to clarify your actions. It allows you to actually see the bigger picture often and go, well, I can say no to this because it doesn't serve my bigger purpose. Because one of the hardest things, especially when you're starting out in any business, is keeping your eye on the ball. It's keeping focused on what actually has to happen. There's a million distractions at any moment in time. And I experience a lot of entrepreneurs that have every reason to succeed. But one of the things that's holding them back is they've only ever done the first 30% of anything. Mm. So you if you have this bigger purpose, it also becomes like a testing factor and in it becomes self-serving and that it allows you to clarify what are my actions because are they moving me towards this? And if they're not, I can say no, not because things are bad that are these other opportunities are bad, but because they're not getting to me, getting me to where I want to go. They don't fit with the, with your vision, right? With your mission. I think you articulated that so well. And, and that's across the whole business spectrum. Uh, you know, how many people only, uh, get to 30% of towards the goal and then quit and then give up. That's why I do this show is to inspire you startup nation to not quit at 30%, to see it through to a hundred percent, to find out, was it a good idea or was it just the wrong fit for you? Right. But if you continue to try new things, but go all the way to the end of them, a hundred percent trying new things, eventually you strike gold. Like this is, the, this is the story of all the top 100 millionaires, billionaires, they went 100% on all those projects and finally one hit at the right timing. But so many, if you haven't experienced that in your own life, Startup Nation, then listen to what Josh is saying. Ask yourself that question. Have you ever gone 100% distance in your project or have you stopped at 30%? Like look back and take an honest look. And if it's, I mean, you know what? I've gone 45% in every single project I've done. Well then on this one, the one you're in right now, Try 55%, try 80%, go all the way, see what happens. You may just strike gold. Josh, anything you want to add to that? No, I just, I totally agree. Um, I was going to, I was thinking of an example that's really down to earth. You know, a lot of people try, there's a big conversation right now because so much uproar has happened in the social media world around things like Facebook ads. So it's really common as a brick and mortar business for people to hear, oh, Facebook ads are a good way for me to get business. So they run a couple of Facebook ads. It doesn't get them business. 
And then they say, well, Facebook ads don't work for me. Well, they didn't this time. Like, and I'm not saying waste money on something that doesn't work for you, but did you really test it? Like, did you go all the way and learn about your target audience properly? Was it budgeted properly? Was there a whole funnel built around it? Was there a sales structure to follow up on any leads that came in? Like what actually happened? If you've done all of these things and they didn't work, then you might be right. Maybe your audience isn't there and that's not the place for you to spend most of your effort. But more often than not, my experience has been someone makes one or two ads and throws them up and throws a few hundred bucks at it. And it doesn't bring someone in next week. So then it just allows them to conclude, Oh, I shouldn't run Facebook ads. It don't work for me. So that's a really <laughs> perfect. I think that's a great example. About. I personally have done that, right? I'll, yeah. I, I definitely have. I thought I had all the puzzle pieces in play, but maybe I was missing a critical one. Right. So Josh, let me ask you this. Uh, let's get right into it. Okay. Startup nation's been waiting patiently. They're like, Josh, what are your top three tips and strategies, man? I have a, a wellness studio. I have a yoga studio, man. I'm trying to crush it. I just can't get past 100K. I've been at it for a year. I've been at it for two years. I'm on my third year, Josh. I just can't break through. I see all these other yoga studios, wellness studios killing it around me in my town, in my city. Why not me? What are your top three tips and strategies for these individuals to crush it in 2021? Yeah, I, I want to preface this with one quick thing, because in, in the yoga wellness industry, sometimes numbers aren't talked about. So I want, to just, I want to just throw a couple numbers out there. These are purely my personal experiential numbers that you can use for whatever they're worth to give you some perspective. If you run a wellness business in a market of 100,000 people or more, COVID aside right now with things being shut down, it's totally normal for you to see like 100 new clients a month. And it's totally normal that you're doing a half a million dollars a year in gross business, at least. So I, I just want to say that out loud, because I also experience a lot of people that are in a market with the product, they could be doing more, and they're trying to break that first hundred thousand, and they start to like give up. And then they conclude again, that like, it was just because this doesn't work in this market. That's just not true. I've never seen it. it there's, there's more things to it. So here, here are my three things. And I feel like I'm trying to make these as applicable, like practical application for you guys as possible. The first is that vision is having this bigger than you why factor, this moral obligation of service to people. And as an extension, I would take that, write it out, and then make sure that every person involved in your business knows what that is. Like just repeat it over and over and over. It has to become the anchor for the entire business. That's number one. Number two, the most common question I get is marketing. How do I get people in the doors? The first question you need to ask, especially if you're sub 100,000, is do you actually need marketing or do you need sales? And in 90% of cases, what you need are sales, not marketing. So I would start there first in the vast majority of businesses. And when I say sales, I mean, what are all of the steps required for someone to give you their money and become a patron of your business? Work on that. The final one, and this would be the biggest one in general, is just a perspective thing. I used to say that this was more pertinent to physical, like brick and mortar businesses, but now it's not. We're moving into the digital era. And you've got to think right now, you know, in 2020, 2021 and beyond, if as a consumer, I go through the effort to get my butt off my couch and find my yoga mat, and brush the dog hair off of it and get my spandex pants on, and get in my car and drive across town, Google Maps doesn't get me lost and I find a parking spot and then I physically walk into your space on time for a class that you have scheduled, that is an enormous action. Now, 
let's take this to the digital side too, for those of you running businesses that way. If I have Google searched and watched YouTube videos and participated in some survey on Facebook and I end up on your website, I'm not, no one's going into Google and just typing websites in and checking them out. Like there is a lot of intent at that moment. So in either case, I don't need to verbally say anything. At that moment, I'm telling you, I'm looking for something more. I'm not just looking to do some stretching postures. I would call this the customer experience. I'm looking for an experience. And if you're looking at how do you differentiate your business and have a competitive advantage, despite how saturated your market might be, your experience is going to be the first place that I would look to adjust that. Can you give us an example before and after of a studio that you worked with? Yeah. So it's really common. There's two metrics that we look at in a studio first. The first is your first visit retention rate. Someone comes into the studio, do they come back again and take another yoga class? Across the industry, unless we put something else in place, the industry average for yoga is a 50% loss. And so for every 10 people that walk in, five walk back out, and we never, ever see them again, which makes no sense based on everything I just described. Second metric is retention of people past the first month. So basically like intro retention. And that's really where you make money in a yoga business is on retention. So in both cases, if you just, if I just come into your studio and you don't learn my name and there's no specific follow-up with me, or you send me some generic emails that aren't even curated for my behavior in the studio, or I get a sales call at the end of my intro month or something like that, what's the difference between you and me doing it online? Or what's the difference between me going to yoga in the park or to the YMCA or to someone's free yoga class, you know, down the street, nothing. I'm just doing those stretching postures. Now, when we shift it around and we look at it, like this is a journey that somebody is on and by them physically showing up in our business, we need to respect the individual in front of us because they're telling us, I want something. I want something more. We may not know what that is yet, but I want something more. So we're going to do everything we can to help them succeed. It's about them. So right on day one, like the sim here's a really simple thing. Give them a tour of your studio. That's it. <laughs> As a traveling yogi practitioner, it baffles me how often I arrive into a new town, to a new studio that I've never been to before. I identify myself as new. I pay for the intro and they say, cool, have a great class. And like, I can't find the locker room to get changed. Or I set up in the wrong spot in class. And I'm an experienced yogi. Imagine if I was an uncomfortable first time yogi. So these are the simple things that they add up, they accumulate over time to not just make your business better, but make that customer experience so good that people become raving fans and they want to come back, both what of which have, equal better business. What have been uh, some of the best customer experience uh, tactics or strategies that you have seen uh, with some of the clients that you work with? You know, honestly, the best, the best always tend to be the simplest things. I've seen a lot of really fancy stuff, you know, the, the cool towel at the end of the hot yoga class that's soaked in tea tree oil or whatever, or lavender or mint or whatever else. The teacher giving everyone a foot massage in the class, like a bunch of stuff. It's like even kind of some weird stuff, you know? That, that's not scalable for sure. Yeah, right, but, exactly. And so what tends, what tends to be, you know, the simplest is just before the class, they learn your name, welcome you, but don't overwhelm you. During the class, they make a simple contact point, like just a thumbs up hey, I still remember that you're here and know who you are. At the end of class, they check in really casually and just offer you something. I'm a huge proponent of an after-class offer on a first visit. So there's another tip that you can take if you run any class-based business. Just give them something. Give them a drink, give them an electrolyte, give them a high five. But just 
really indicating that I know who you are. I remember you. You're important to me. This matters. And I'll follow up with you. That's, that's the simple stuff that to me has always landed the best with people. These are good. Startup Nation, you taking notes? You writing this down? Now, what's the best way to follow up with that first time visitor? And how often or how soon that first point of contact? So yeah, they leave the studio, they had a great class. What's that next contact? Look yeah, like? this is such a good question. And I think applicable across so many businesses way outside of the yoga world as well. For sure. Like I'm applying it to, you know, what I did with co-working. Go ahead. Yeah. Look at it like dating. I mean, if I, if, if I went on a date with you, Joseph, and we had a great time, how long do I want to wait before I get a text message from you afterwards? Well, being I'm not into you forever. Um, <laughs> Go ahead. You know what I'm saying? Like yes. I, if you don't contact me for a week, like I think something's wrong, but a week is an eternity during the romantic beginning of a relationship with somebody. So look at it that way, that someone's gone through all this effort to get to you. And now they're like, okay, you're now going to curate my experience. That's the, that's what they're basically suggesting. I'd follow up with them really quickly. So it doesn't matter what business we're talking about. I think you should follow up with someone within 24 hours of their first experience with your business. And what does that and look then, like specifically? Well, it depends. Up? Yeah. It depends a little bit on the business that you're operating because if I come in and I buy a pencil from your stationary store, you can send me an email, but that email can be pretty lightweight because I bought a pencil from you. But if we had an experience together, if you're a service-based industry, let's say a massage therapist would be another example, you know, the checkup needs to be about me, the customer, not about you, the business. So in that way, even the delivery method should be as personalized as possible. So it might not be an email. It might be a text message. It might be a phone call. Something, nothing, you know, too heavyweight. And then the conversation doesn't have to be hyper-scripted, in my opinion. It's really just, hey, I know you had your yoga class yesterday. How are you feeling today? Great. Can I help you sign up for the next one? Like, that's it. That's the whole conversation. Because also, we got to be respectful of people's time. Mm -hmm. If you own a business, your entire life revolves around your business. If they come to your business, their entire life does not revolve around your business. <laughs> so, you know, when you do contact people and you're making it personal, that's cool. But keep it, keep it pretty concise, I would say, as well. So just to clarify, so I own a wellness studio, say, and I have 100 new clients uh, coming in per month because I live in a city of 100,000 plus, uh, like you said. So I'm making a hundred follow-up calls within 24 hours of that first visit. Is that correct? My staff yeah. and I, and yeah. it's very simple follow-up calls. Hey, Josh, just want to check in with you. I uh, saw, saw your first class yesterday. How are you feeling today? Is it working for you? Like, well, what are you feeling like? Do you feel energy? You feel anything, right? Very simple, very right to it. And then, Hey, can I help you sign up for the next class? Yeah. Like, that's it. All right. Have a blessed day and you're that's out. That's it. Exactly. And that could be, if you're a very high volume business and making a phone call is not realistic, maybe that 24 hours has to extend, or maybe you split up the group. So you send an automated text message. Mm -hmm. uh, but if there are, you have a system in place where you and your staff can identify clients who might preferentially want a phone call, or if they had an experience where it would be better to follow, follow up with a phone call. So that's good. And also even for the, their signup initially for that first class, maybe they check a box that say, what's your preferred uh, way of contact via text, phone call, email. Okay. Awesome. So we're speaking with Josh Bureau. You can find him at joshbureau.com. Uh, and he's teaching us, right? Like this is really good stuff. Whether you own a yoga studio, a wellness studio, uh, you're a physical massage person, anyone in the service business, this is how you grow your business. So one, create a bigger than you why factor, right? And then repeat it everywhere and make sure your team is trained on it. So like to the point where they're just like, 
oh my gosh, he just keeps, he won't shut up about this thing, <laughs> right? But they get, wow, he really believes in this. Maybe I should. Number two, um, really distinguish between uh, what's missing for you right now. Do you need more marketing or do you need better sales? Like really get clear on that and then focus on those specific steps that are needed in your sales process. And number three, create a custom customer experience, a custom customer experience, one that is unique to your business, your studio, so that when they think of that experience, they think of only you and no one else in your space. Josh, anything you want to add to those three? How did we do? Did we nail them? We nailed it. That's it. And I would just say, this is the fun part, honestly, this customer experience part that we're talking about. This is the fun part about running a business because you get to really pour your heart into it and then see it create positivity in other people. And it's something you have a lot of control over. There's a lot of things in your business you don't have direct control over. This is something you do have direct control over. So it's a good place for you to put your, put your effort into. I agree with you completely. And to your point, it's also very much the simple things and they don't have to be costly things, Startup Nation. In my co-working business, we, we invited people in for the free tour. So they got the tour experience and it was very personal to them and part of the tour experience and other members knew that we may interrupt them and invite them to say hi to this new person walking through. And immediately they built bonds right there and they're like, oh, you're in this space as well. Oh my gosh, can we like have a coffee sometime? And immediately they felt this pull into our co-working community. That was huge. And then we would sit them down and offer them a free tea or a cup of coffee as part of the sales conversation. These little things, they cost me a few dollars, but when that client signed up, well, the profit margin was already built in. So think about those simple things that Josh is talking about, and you can grow your studio past 100K this year in 2021. Uh, Josh, uh, let's go into my favorite part of the show. Welcome to the hustle round. I'm going to ask you 10 quick fire questions. You'll have about three seconds to answer each. Don't overthink it. It's just for fun. Are you ready, sir? I sure hope so. <laughs> I, I love how you like- I'm ready. I'm ready. I love how like you like- <laughs> Twisted your neck around like you're yeah. ready to box or something. That's hilarious. <laughs> All right. well, what's your favorite thing about uh, just controlling your own destiny through entrepreneurship? Um, yeah, it's the creator, being the creator of your own reality. It's also the thing that can be something I hate sometimes <laughs> because you have to. But in, in general, that's what drives me to entrepreneurship is that creative element of getting to take an idea and build it into something. For sure. And what's your least favorite thing about having all that responsibility? Yeah. Yeah. The responsibility itself. And that's the hardest part. That's my least favorite thing because like you ask for it at the same time. Sometimes you want to be able to turn that off. And when you run your own show, you can't necessarily turn it off. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I believe we're all struggling with something at any given moment of our lives, just part of being human. What are you struggling with right now, either professionally or personally? Um, you know, the biggest thing professionally that I'm struggling with right right now is scaling uh, because I'm very aware of the industry and the niche that I'm in and the difficult times that we're in right now as well. So as much as I want to scale, it's a difficult time for scaling because people need to be frugal, need to be intelligent about their expenses, really just need the help. So yeah, it's, it's hard to change pricing. It's hard to you know, make large marketing plays. It's hard to do a lot of the things I would normally do for scaling at this point. Got it. I think it also opens up an opportunity to pivot and do something completely outside of the box, so to speak, right? Virtually yep. and create that, that custom customer experience online right now that nobody else is doing. What does that maybe look like? And you're about to jump into a yoga summit conference experience, right? You're jumping on right after this, you're creating that. 
Um, yep. Tell us, uh, before we go into that, I'll give you a second after this, but what are you most afraid of? Uh, lo- lo- having things taken away from me. I've, I have experienced loss in my life in a few different ways. And so that's my personal struggle is when things are going good, like when's the carpet going to get pulled out from under you? And that's totally just a mental game, but it's a, it's a tough one. <laughs> Bro, I had the same one for years. Oh my gosh. It was like just a self-sabotage. And like people around me would be like, dude, whenever you get like right to right before your goal, like you rip out your own carpet from under you. And I'm like, I do not. That happened. This happened. This person. They're like, no, that was you. And man, that was really revealing. What did you spend way too much time doing this past year? Um, This past year, I spent too much time trying to build certain members of a team, trying to build my team up where that's not where I needed to focus as much. I should have focused more on just the business part of it, business operations. Mm, got it. What secret fear do you have about people? Um, I, I value respect, like more than being liked or being loved, I value respect. And so secretly, I, if someone doesn't respect me, if they have that, like, yeah, that, that scares the heck out of me. I don't, I don't like that. <laughs> I get that. What's a new habit you want to create? Uh, time balance. I'm really good at time balance on the larger scale. So making sure over a longer term, you know, time frame, I get everything done and I do all the things that I want to do and live a good life and whatever, but on the like daily, the micro that's that time balance. I still struggle with, and I'd like to get that in order. Got it. What's a bad habit you want to break? Drinking beer. (laughs) (laughs) I I live in Mexico. It's just too readily available. Cerveza. Uh, what do you wish you had learned sooner in business? Um, sales, honestly, that was one of the first things I did learn, but I wish, I wish I'd learned it way earlier sales. And then I guess as an extension of sales, seeing the bigger picture of it. So the follow-up after the fact and the opportunity that can extend after the initial sale. So maybe I'm not articulating this correctly. It's not the first sale that really builds, you know, brand ambassadorship. It's like the third and the fourth and the fifth. So that element of sales that like once somebody buys something, they're within your sphere of influence and you should continue with that person for until they say no, until they don't want to participate anymore. I agree with you. I used to have a simple rule that uh, once you close a sale, you have a customer, but not a business. Yep. When, when the customer buys repeatedly, you now have a business. So it's all about that. the repeat business, right? Repeat clients. Uh, what is a bad habit? Uh, I already did that. Pick three words to describe who you are now. Ooh. Ooh, ooh, that's one. <laughs> there's one. There's number one. <laughs> um, I would say that I am a motivated, inspirational person in general. And the third word, you know, yeah. After this year, honestly, tired. I'm a bit tired. Okay. <laughs> Just being really, really blunt about it. Yeah, I got it. I mean, yeah. you're in you're in growth mode right now. Pick three words uh, to sh- describe who you were your first year in this business. Yeah, my first year, I was naive. Uh, <laughs> I was also maybe a little overconfident mm. as an extension of that, but I was heavily motivated. Yeah. Yeah, you could get a lot done with those three. Because yeah. na- naivety, you're kind of blind to all the obstacles. And yeah. sometimes you get through them faster than the guy who sees them all. Yeah. And last question, if you could come back to life after you died, look your family, your friends, your wife, your kids in the eye, and give them only one piece of advice about everything, life, eternity, all of it. What would you say to them? 
just enjoy, enjoy life, enjoy what you're doing. That's it. I mean, in the end, entrepreneurship, uh, you know, in the context of this podcast is a perfect example of the reason you get into it is because you have a desire to, because it's, it's fun. I mean, I don't think people say being an entrepreneur is so fun. That's not a common statement, but it is, it's fun when you're winning and the game is fun, but when it's not fun, then things suck. So in the end, it's, can you just have fun? Can you just enjoy what you're doing? No matter what it is you're doing. I think that's ultimately what it comes down to. I agree. Any final wisdom? What's the one thing you want my listener to know about running a one, a six or seven figure uh, wellness studio? Yeah. Don't hold yourself to the dollar metric. Hold yourself accountable to something bigger, your bigger purpose, you know, just solve people's problems, help people succeed, no matter how simple that is, even if it is just selling them a pencil and the money comes with that. Fantastic. And what's the best way for Startup Nation to get in touch with you? Maybe you want to tell them about uh, your yoga summit uh, conference here. Yeah, we're running a virtual yoga business summit. It's actually today and tomorrow, uh, but we have one every year. Uh, usually it's in person this year. We've gone virtual, but you can get in touch with me at joshbiro.com or on any of the social media channels. Josh Biro and Nomad Business Coaching are the, are the names. Fantastic. Josh, thank you for being on uh, your first 100K. I wish you God's love, peace, and joy in your life, sir. Startup Nation, you cannot show up authentically in your business without building faith in your business. If you want to have that conversation on the faith side of things, go check out my other podcast called Broken Catholic. On that show, I interview all different guests about why the world isn't working right now. Plus, I tackle unspeakable topics that you may secretly struggle with, but won't admit. We got to get your faith right to get your business right. Go to BrokenCatholic.com. I'm Joseph Warren, and you were made for greatness. So stop being a wuss and start being a winner. Have a blessed day, and I'll see you right back here next week.